You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. If you have your notes, you can grab them. You'll need them this morning as we go through the message. Of course, you can take your bulletin, scan the QR code. We'll save half a tree, and it'll come up that way as well. So either way, grab your notes. Got some verses to go through this morning as we're going to talk about bless versus curse. As you know, all summer long, we are in the series of the Upside Down Kingdom, The whole year is about God has a better way, and the upside-down kingdom is a better way to do life. It goes against the grain. You swim upstream. It's different. It seems inverted. It seems almost backwards the way God does things in his kingdom, but it's a better way to do it. And we'll be speaking about bless versus curse this morning. When we think of curse, we just think of somebody cursing us using curse words. But it's much more than that. And we'll get into it, what it really means. What does it really mean to bless? Bless is more than just signing your email blessings. It's more than just saying bless you. What really is involved when we bless somebody versus cursing somebody? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to start with. So it's there in your notes here on the Sermon on the Mount. Classic Jesus. He says here, you've heard that it was said. You shall love your, ne- your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Here it is. Bless those who curse you. Not just bless those who bless you. Anybody can do that. But bless those who curse you as well. Do good to those who hate you. That's upside down, isn't it? Do good to somebody who hates you. We want to do bad to somebody who did bad to us. We want to curse somebody who cursed us. But he said, no, this is the upside down kingdom. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust. So be like your dad. Your heavenly Father blesses. He, that's the kingdom. The kingdom is to bless, not to curse. So we'll learn about that this morning. Now, here in this verse, he says, you've heard it said. He does a number of those in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. I actually have a message called, You've Heard It Said. And over the years, I just started writing down all these sayings that people say. And you wonder, why, what does that really mean? Do we really take that literally? Let me give you just a few of them this morning. You've heard it said, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. Matter of fact, the Bible says people perish for a lack of knowledge. Sometimes people say that just to kind of get away from the responsibilities. Well, ignorance is bliss. I really don't want to know about it. No, it isn't bliss. So you've heard that said. You've also heard it said, be open-minded. Well, the Bible says no, to guard your heart and your mind with all diligence. You don't want to just accept any thought that comes in. You're to be a, a thought inspector, to take every thought captive. You've heard it said, if worse comes to worse... God has said, no, no, it's not worse come to worse. The path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter. We'll go from faith to faith. We go from strength to strength. We go from glory to glory. Nowhere do you find God said, well, if it goes from worse to worse, so it'll get better and better. Uh, you've also heard it said, uh, let me give you another one. Oh, don't get your hopes up. And God said, no, no, get your hopes up because faith is a substance of things hoped for. If you have nothing, hope is like the goalpost. You need hope to have faith. Now abide, faith, hope, and love. So God has said, no, get your hopes up. Hope for something great. Uh, another one, you've heard it said, take care. And meanwhile, take care. But the Bible said, no, cast your cares onto me because I'll care for you. Don't take care. Don't take worry. She said, no, don't worry. I'll take care of you. So you've heard it said, God helps those who help themselves. God didn't say that. Benjamin Franklin said that. <laughs> now, 
God helps those who trusted him. That's who he helps. And then you've also heard it said, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You and I both know that words do hurt us. We might say that in the moment, but we do know, even on the playground when somebody said that, you knew that they were still hurting from the words that were spoken. Because words are containers. Words hold something. There's a, there's a spirit behind the word that is said. If we won't, when we talk about cursing, we just think about somebody swearing or using profanity. And have you ever wondered what makes a curse word a curse word anyhow? After all, it's just a bunch of letters put together. Why would that make it a curse word? I'm not going to mention any because we're in church after all. I'm not gonna, I could give you some examples, but you're probably thinking of some anyhow right now, so it's already done. So, but what makes that word you thought about? What makes it a curse word? It's just a word. What makes it a curse word is the spirit that's behind the word. Think of it when the times that you've used a curse word, I used a curse word, or somebody else used a curse word. Usually, they're angry, and so they'll curse. So there's a spirit of anger behind it. Maybe there's a spirit, I don't know what it's like where, where you've worked or where you've been, but some of the places that I worked, especially in the oil industry, people had... Uh, we'd, we'd call it potty mouth. They had a really bad language. And sometimes the language was used just to show, I don't know if it was a pride thing or what, but the more that they could put these adjectives and adverbs, of, you know, the, they just, it was almost a pride thing to curse. And so that was behind it. Or sometimes there's a spirit of perversion that comes behind that word. I looked up the word in the dictionary, in Wikipedia. I just looked up the word profanity and cursing and just wanted to see what it had to say. And it says here that profanity or cursing is language that shows disrespect, desecration, or debasement. Profanity can take the form of words, expressions, gestures, such as flipping the middle finger or other social behaviors that are construed or interpreted as insulting, rude, vulgar, obscene, obnoxious, foul, desecrating, or other forms. So there's a spirit behind it. Otherwise, it would just be words. It's the spirit behind it that does the damage. Likewise, there's a spirit behind blessing. So in this message, bless versus curse. In the upside-down kingdom, it's all about blessing, not about cursing. We live in a world where it's pretty natural just to curse. You know, there was a three-country poll conducted by Angus Reid in 2010, and they found that Canadians swear more than Americans and Britons when talking to their friends. We're not too proud about that, but that was a recent poll. So we want to talk about this morning about being a blessing and not a curse. What does it mean to bless? Let's just talk about what it means to bless. Bless comes from a Hebrew word that means to bow the knee. They would have pictures that went with their words. The picture for bless was a camel bowing on its knee and the master getting up on top of the camel. That was the word for bless. And uh, so it is today. Bless means to bow, to show respect, to value, to say, I appreciate you. That's what it means to bow. I got thinking about it. As Canadians, you know what? We don't bow a lot. Some cultures bow. If you go to Japan, they bow. Other cultures, they bow. But Canadians, we, you know, somebody who's conducting an orchestra, they'll bow afterwards, or maybe a performer will bow. But as a whole, we, we don't bow a lot. We show respect other ways, but we don't do a lot of bowing. But this culture, that what, that's what it meant. It meant to bow, 
to show respect, to humble yourself, to say, I value you. Another word picture for bless was a weigh scale. Back then, when you paid somebody, you gave them the coins, but the coins were different than our coins today. Our coins are minted, so every coin is exactly the same weight. They're identical. Back then, they didn't have technology to do that, so when you got paid, even though it was the same coin, the same king on the coin, you still put it on a weigh scale because the weight could differ from coin to coin. And so to bless means to add weight to that side of the scale, to put more value, more worth on it. So if you put those two word pictures together, bless means you are of such great value to me, I choose to add life to you. I choose to add value to you. That's literally what it means to bless. There's an example of blessing in the Old Testament. We'll use some pictures of the Old Testament this morning to talk in talking about blessing. And it's the story of Esau. Esau missed his dad's blessing. And we read in Genesis chapter 27, verse 38, it's there in your notes out of the Message Bible. Here Esau says, But don't you just have one blessing? But don't you have just one blessing for me, Father? Oh, bless me, my Father. Bless me. Esau sobbed inconsolably. Here is this man named Esau crying for his dad's blessing. He had a twin brother named Jacob. They were born about the same time. Esau born just a little bit earlier. In their culture of their day, the blessing, the birthrights, would first go to the firstborn. Well, earlier on in the story, what had happened was Esau sold his birthright to his younger brother by a few minutes, Jacob, for a pot of bean soup, bean porridge. He sold it for that. And so Jacob inherited really the blessing through that. He did it legally, kind of sneaky, but he did it legally. It was prophesied when he was born that Esau would serve Jacob. And then Jacob later on, he again tricks his dad and tricks him to bless him instead of his brother. God, even though it was messy, honors it, would separate him from his mother, Jacob from his mother after that. I don't know if he ever saw his mom again. But the point was this, that there was this man named Esau, and he was so hungry for his dad's blessing. He said, oh, Father, bless me. We live in a world today where people cry out for the blessing to be upon them from their mom and their dad. There's just something about a blessing that comes from the home. Before the church was ever instituted, God had instituted the family. There's something about a blessing from a mom or from a dad. And the first place we need to be blessed is in our home. As pastors, we often talk to different family members, and we have seen people in, their, in the last days of their parents' life crying before their father or their mother, Dad, will you just tell me you love me? Just tell me that you're proud of me. Would you just tell me that I measured up in something, that you actually were proud of me of something that I did? I need to hear those words. There's something in us that just craves that we desire the blessing that comes from the generations before us, whether it be our father, whether it be our grandparent, or an uncle or an aunt. We, we need that kind of a blessing. A lady came up for prayer last night after the service, and she was in her 40s, and tears just streaming down her face. And she said, it's been all these years that I, I still don't feel like I measure up to my parents. I, I've never yet heard my mom or my dad say, I'm proud of you. You're so valuable. You've done well. I just need to hear those words. And tonight I feel like that thing's been broken over my life. There's something about being blessed in your home, being blessed in your church, being blessed in your community. Blessing. Esau cried out. He wanted a blessing. 
What does it mean to curse? We talked about the definition of blessing. What does it mean to curse? Curse means to subtract, subtract or withhold the things that would add life to the other person. To take it away, to stop it. The picture of curse is to dam or obstruct water from flowing through. You could have a picture of somebody going to the desert where there should be a stream that's been dammed up and there's no life flowing. And people that have lived under that kind of an environment, it's like it just things just, it's a struggle. It just feels like they're not blessed. Have you ever looked at somebody and said, man, it just seems like things go well for them. It just seems like they're blessed. It didn't happen by accident. It's a spiritual force. Or you look at somebody else, it just seems like they struggle so hard to move ahead in life. Maybe finance is okay, but relationships are broken. Or one area of their life, it just feels like there's such a struggle. It's because there's been a dam and those blessings aren't flowing through. When we were dating, I asked Cheryl if she'd like to go camping. And Cheryl said, yeah, I'd like to go camping. I said, oh, great. It's great. I married a girl that loves to go camping. Now, guys, I made a mistake. I didn't ask a few more questions. I should have asked a few more questions and just to get her definition of camping because I came to find out after we got married, her definition of camping is very different than my definition. I found this out because one weekend I said, let's go camping in Waterton Park. We grew up close to Waterton National Park in southern Alberta. And so I said, let's go camping this weekend. She goes, yeah, let's go camping. We're going to rent the trailer. I said, I mean, it was just, guys, it was right over my head. Rent the trailer. She goes, yeah. So you see, her version of camping was you had a hot shower, a warm bed, a fridge, and all the creature comforts, and you just pulled your home behind the vehicle, and you parked it in a campground. That was camping. And, uh, but my version of camping, I grew up, and we would get on a horse, we'd ride into the hills, or we'd hike into the mountains. We didn't have a tent. We built a lean-to, cut down some pine boughs, built a lean-to, started a fire. <laughs> that was camping. We didn't even pack a tent. Tent was a luxury. And uh, so we had a little bedroll, and we were set, and caught some trout, trapped a squirrel or something, and, and <laughs> that, was, that was camping. And we packed a little bannock and a can of beans and a little bit of bacon, fried it up, kept the grease, and you were, you were set for a week. <laughs> and I, so I'm thinking camping, and she's got a totally different version. Well, we, we met halfway in between, bought a tent, got some new downfield sleeping bags, and we went hiking. We were in Waterton National Park, and we looked at the map. We were hiking up to Goat Lake, and it was about... A 12-kilometer hike, and we saw on the map halfway through, there's a, there's a stream. We'll stop, fill our canteens with water. We got hiking above the tree line. And another thing that she, I told her, I said, we have to wear bells. She said, wear bells. I didn't wear bells when I went camping. I said, well, where are we going? We need to wear bells because the grizzlies like notification. You're on the way. And so we give them a little bit of notice, and they like that. So we got above the tree line, and, we're, and we come to this place where there's supposed to be a stream, but the stream's dried up. So we couldn't fill our canteens. We're dehydrated. You know the, the deal when you're, you have to stay hydrated. And so the last part of the journey, it was a struggle. We just were, we barely made it there. It took a lot of effort. We weren't blessed that last part of the trip for sure because that stream hadn't flowed. And that's what it's like when you've lived under a curse instead of a blessing. It's just like somebody stopped the stream of life from flowing into you. And everything's just become a struggle. You have to work so much harder. 
But I have good news for you today. Jesus is the ultimate dam breaker. And he comes along, if there has been a dam in your life, if it's been like the blessings have just stopped from flowing into your life because of where you grew up or where you lived or whatever it was, he comes along and he removes that dam so life can flow into you. He has come to give us life and life more abundantly. He said to Peter, Peter, they've called you a reed, but I call you something different. I'm going to call you a rock. I have a different, I'm going to remove the dam so you can be something great. And Peter went on to be from a, from a fisherman. He went on to do incredible things. He stood before crowds and they said, how did this happen? And they said, well, he's been with Jesus. And you too can be with Jesus. He can take and remove any curse from your life and add a blessing. The blessings do not have to be dammed up. Sometimes we've grown up, in a, some of us have grown up in a home where we had incredible parents and they, they did just provide a blessing for us. And it's made it great for us to grow up. I had the privilege of that. Some of us have grown up and we didn't have that. Maybe our parents were alcoholic or maybe they were separated, divorced. And maybe you never had your dad say, I love you. I'm so proud of you. You measure up. You, I value you. And give you a hug and, and just endorse what you were doing. Even if it was something different than what he thought you'd be doing. He just valued you. Maybe you didn't have that. But you can be the pioneer. You can be the first generation. Stand up and say, no, I'm going to make a difference. I'll remove the stumps. I'll pull out the rocks if I need to. But I'll pioneer something different. The mud stops here. That darkness stops here. I've decided to follow Jesus. And I receive his blessings in my life. And I choose to be a blesser, not a curser. God has a way of doing that. And he has a way of removing that darkness. He said, come to me if you're brokenhearted. If you're tired, if you're worried, if the blessings of life have been dammed up because of what went on in your past, where you grew up, I will remove that so that you too can live in victory. Yeah. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you withhold good and you, can, you could have done something for them, you've cursed instead of blessed. Be a blessing, not a curse. To bless is a choice, and it affects the generations to follow. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, it's there in your notes. God says, Today I have given you the choice between life and death. Look at this. Between blessings and curses. So he said, I've empowered you. You get to make a choice. You can either bless or you can curse. I call heaven and earth to witness the choice you've made. Somebody's watching the choice you make. And then he says, oh, that you would choose life, that you and your descendants might live. Folks, when we choose to bless, it doesn't just affect us. It can affect generations to follow. You can choose to be a blesser as a grandpa. You can choose to be a blesser as an uncle or an aunt. You might say, well, I don't have any children. But maybe you have a nephew. Maybe you have a niece. I had an aunt and to this day, I still have her. She's still in my life. She's in her 90s. But she blessed me. Every year, she sends me a Christmas card. She sends me a birthday card every year. I don't know how she does it, but she, she's never missed my entire life. She just blessed me. She didn't have any children, but she's a blesser. She always spoke into her lives. Never had a bad word. Always an encouragement. Always a hug. She's an auntie. She just blesses. We can be a blessing and not a curse. And it affects the generations, the generations to come. Look at Psalm 112, verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. 
When we choose to live as a blessing and not a cursing, the generations to follow are mighty. They're empowered to do great things. Why? Because their abilities, their gifts, their callings has not been dammed up. Hasn't been stopped. Oh, starts in the home. Starts in the families. Starts by a dad, a mom, a grandpa, an auntie, an uncle. Just being a blessing. And sometimes one, just one other relative standing up and making a difference can remove the dam for the blessings to flow into that person's life. Amen. Feeling like I do measure up. I do count. I do have value. I am blessed. How do we bless? The Old Testament gives us a couple components to blessing. One, we bless with physical touch. Joseph says to his father, he's in Egypt. His dad has come to visit him. And he says to his dad, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. His dad says, bring them to me. I will bless them. So let's watch. How does his dad bless his sons? Now, the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. You bless with physical touch. Now, we live in a world where there's been a lot of abuse with physical touch, but a meaningful physical touch is seven times more powerful than the spoken word. They tell us, UCLA did a study a few years ago, and they say, in order to be healthy, physically and emotionally, Every one of us here this morning, we need eight to ten meaningful touches a day. It keeps us healthy. We're, we're designed to be loved. And to bless means to kiss, to hug, to embrace that person. And the Old Testament, when they blessed them, they always included a hug or a kiss. Jesus, he took the children in his lap and he blessed them. He laid hands on them. He hugged them. He embraced them. It's a principle of the Old Testament and of the New Testament. If you bless somebody, it includes a physical touch. First thing that happened when the prodigal son came home. You remember the story of the prodigal son? The guy gets a bunch of his dad's money, heads out to another country, blows it all. He bought some Ferraris, bought a couple muscle cars, went to the pub, went to the nightclub, got hooked on cocaine, Drank it, smoked it, it was all gone, broke. He's working for a pig farmer, smells like pigs, clothes are dirty. He's lost a lot of weight, used to be buff, now he's skinny. He thinks, you know what, I'm going to go home. Because at home, a servant gets better, treated better than I do, so I'm going to go home. Every day, you talk about a blessing, every day his dad would go out and look onto the horizon and see, is my son coming home yet? And one day, he goes out, and coming over the crest of the hill is this young man. That dad runs out there, and he hugs this man. He smells like pig manure. His clothes are torn. He's lost a lot of weight. His beard's scruffy, and he hugs him, and he blesses him. He says when he gets him home, hey, you guys, having a barbecue, get the steaks out. Come on, get a steer killed, and let's have some hamburgers, and let's, let's celebrate our son's home. Let's give him some new clothes, give him some new shoes, give him a new ring, our son's home. What did he do? He blessed that son. He could have cursed him. He could have said to him, it's about time you got home. 
Do you know how hard your mom and I worked for that money? Do you know how hard it was to see you waste that money? And now you come home and you expect you're just going to come home and live in our house again? Under my, well, under my roof, we've got certain rules. And you better buck up, buddy, if you're going to live here. If you're going to come home, you're going to start from square one. And you're going to have to earn your way back and pay me back every dollar you wasted. You could hear somebody saying that. That would be a curse. But to bless that father, despite what he did, he didn't damn up the blessings coming to his son's life. He blessed him. He didn't curse him. So that's number one, physical touch. Number two was spoken and written words. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Again, words are containers. They can contain life or they contain death. I remember a time in my life when my dad really blessed me. I'm privileged, thankful that I had a good dad. And as a young teenager, I had my grandpa come visit us on the farm one weekend. And we had had relatively, it wasn't a new tractor, it was new to us. And my dad had taught me how to drive it. We learned young on the farm how to work. And so my dad had taught me how to drive this tractor. And he wanted me to show my grandfather that I could drive it. He said, son, get on this new new to us, a John Deere 830 tractor, and he said, start it up. So I got on the tractor and started it up, and, uh, and then he said, well, why don't you drive it up to, the, up to the Quonset or the machine shed? I've only driven the tractor once before, and I said, okay. My dad's so proud of me. I'm up on this tractor. I got the thing started, and the clutch was really hard to pull in, and so I had to put both hands on the steering wheel, and then with all my might, I pushed this clutch in and reached down and got it into gear. Well, I popped the clutch, the tractor came up on the front wheels and bounced down the road, and my dad just kind of hanging on, but he's smiling, and that's my boy driving the tractor. <laughs> and so I come up to this barbed wire fence. We've got a gate to go through before we get to the machine shop. And I go to push in the clutch, and maybe I was nervous, I don't remember, but I, I couldn't get the clutch all the way in. I was trying to stop the tractor, and I couldn't stop the tractor. Well, I went through the barbed wire fence, and there was, there was wire flying every way. My, mom, my grandpa, my dad are ducking. The fence is broken. It's, it has to be redone. We go through that, and I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do? My dad says, that's okay, son. That's all right. Just keep driving. Bring her up in front of the Quonset machine shed. I get up in front of the machine shop. And my dad says, now, son, you know what to do. Just, just push in the clutch. You can stop it. You can do it, son. You can do it. And I, I think I got just more nervous, and I couldn't get the clutch in. And you guessed it. I drove through the doors of this machine shelf. They're about 25 foot high, these doors, and wood's flying everywhere. They're coming off the tracks. And, and now I'm looking at the other side of the machine shop. <laughs> At this point, my dad wasn't saying, son, way to go. He was jumping on the tractor, and he got the thing stopped, and, and I ran off. I, I, tears, crying, I, you know, I felt so bad. I was embarrassed. I ran off, and supper time came around. I came back out for supper, and I thought, oh, no, what, what am I going to hear? Because I really did some damage, and my dad said, come over here, son. And uh, it's a long time since I'd sat on his knee, but he put me on his knee around the supper table. He put his arms around me. And he said, son, I'm proud of you. You, 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 know, you. I don't remember his exact words. But I came away knowing that he was proud of me. He wasn't mad at me. That I was a son. He loved me. He hugged me. He spoke words of affirmation over my life. That's one of my best memories of my dad. Because he believed in me. Even when I blew it, he believed in me. Shortly after that, we had to fix the door, of course. And uh, 
And so we called up my, my cousin, and they farmed across the way from us. We brought the cousin over, and the, his dad was there. And my cousin was saying, oh, I've got to fix this door. And he's complaining, and oh, David wrecked the door and all this and that. And I remember my dad standing up saying, hey, stop it. In front of the other relatives, my, my dad stood up for me. He never brought it up again. It was never talked about. He never reminded me. He never, he never brought it up and said, you know, remember when you wrecked the door? I never heard that. It was over. It was done. He blessed me. You know, that could have been a dam in my life. He could have used that incident to dam the blessings in my life, but he didn't. He blessed. He didn't curse. Spoken words, public affirmation. There's a movie that was called Searching for Bobby Fisher that came out a few years ago. In the movie, Josh Waitzkin, he has this great talent for playing chess. Searching for Bobby Fischer, he was trying to figure out the way Bobby Fischer played chess. And as a youngster, he had learned chess. He had, was discovered. He would play in Washington uh, Park, and he had learned to play chess from the, some of the guys there. And at school, distracted playing chess, and uh, the teacher was really concerned about him. And at a parent-teacher interview, his dad stands up for him. It could have been a time where he would damn that, the giftings, the blessings in that child. But the father didn't do that. He blessed him. He stood up for his son. His son's off in the corner listening. But it's a powerful picture that we can be a blessing to other people's lives. Let me show you this clip, and then we're going to wrap up the message this morning. Mr. Wayskin? Oh, hi, how you doing? Hi, I'm so glad you could make it. Yeah, me too. Hey, this is really great. Oh, isn't it, man? The children worked very hard getting it ready. I, I understand from Josh you just got back from Washington. Mm -hmm. I think that's super. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> he told us all about the hotel. Yeah, well, he was really impressed yeah. with that. We've been taking him a lot of places lately. Well, I think it's good. I think it's important for a kid to travel. You know, it's a great education. They, they start to realize there's more to the world than Washington Square. <laughs> yes. He's been talking a lot about Washington Square, too. Uh, uh, let's see. We, we've heard about hotels in uh, Syracuse, Philadelphia, Boston, Washington now. And that seems to be all he can remember. Not the, the White House or the Capitol Building or the Lincoln Memorial. And you're wondering why that is? It's because I'm a rotten father. You're right. I drag him all over the country for my own selfish reasons. Fred? Is Josh falling behind in his schoolwork? He is, but I'm more concerned about other things, like his friendships. There's a problem there? Uh, there could be. Well, is there or isn't there? Mr. Waitzkin, I'm, I'm sure he's very good at this chess thing, but that isn't really the issue. Chess when thing? I'm, I'm sorry. Chess thing? I'm sure he's very good at it, but it worries me. If I could make an analogy. Chess if it was like, say, oh, I don't know, um, cards. Pinochle. Pinochle. For instance. Pinochle. Fred. Bonnie, he's comparing chess to Pinochle. What am I supposed to say to that? She's trying to make a point. Maybe we should listen. Vinny thinks he's spending too much time at it, too. Vinny? Vinny's a drug addict. I'm supposed to listen to his opinion, too? I'm sorry, but your analogy is a very bad one. If you want to make a comparison to something, compare it to something that makes sense. Compare it to math or music or art, because otherwise it belittles him and it and me. No, I don't mean to belittle you at oh, all. Oh, but you I... are. You are. 
Uh, even in the way you're looking at me. Mr. Waste, can I think perhaps... You want to know how good he is? I'll, I'll tell you how good he is. He is better at this than I have ever been at anything in my life. He is better at this than you'll ever be at anything. My son has a gift. He has a gift. And once you acknowledge that, then maybe we'll have something to talk about. Josh. Chess is what it's called. Not chess thing, chess. In that movie, he blessed, didn't he? Yeah, he just said, no, I'm going to not curse, bless. Curse would have been all embarrassed for his son. Or, you know, he, he stood up. There was a strength there. No, I will bless my child. It was a blessing. He didn't dam up that stream. The son went on to be an incredible chess player, won all kinds of championships, and is still one of the greatest chess players in the world because his father blessed it. He was a student of his son. To bless, you have to be a student of your family, a student of the people you want to bless. If you, you're not interested in their life, you can't bless them. Somewhere this dad took interest in his son to know what his gift was. And sometimes what we wish our children were gifted in is not what they're gifted in. Maybe we wish they'd play in the NHL, but hockey just is not their thing. Maybe their thing is playing chess, or maybe their thing is being an artist, or maybe their thing is something else. But if you bless them, you're interested in it, you say, ah, oh, this is who you are. In the book, The Blessing, the author talks about going to visit his mother. His mother was living in an apartment by herself. He said, if you walked into my mom's apartment, you would be surprised at what you saw. The collection of books on her shelf were kind of unusual. She had a roll of theological books. She had a roll of medicine books. And then she had a complete collection of heavy equipment digest on the bottom shelf. You know, what grandmother is carrying a whole shelf of heavy-duty equipment and then a whole number of books on how to operate heavy-duty equipment? Well, because her oldest son was a counselor and a minister, so she had books on theology. Her second son was a doctor, so she had books on medicine to understand his world. And her third son was a heavy-duty equipment operator, and she subscribed to the same magazines that he did so that so she could talk about heavy-duty equipment to her son Joe. That's a, that's a mother who blessed. She didn't say, I don't understand your world. I didn't grow up with that, so I'm not interested. No, she blessed. She didn't damn it up. She empowered, whether it be a minister, whether it be a doctor, or whether it be a heavy-duty equipment operator, I want to be a blessing to you. How do we bless? We bless by physical touch. We bless by the words we speak. And we bless by putting in their word pictures. Because one of the things you see in the Old Testament is they gave word pictures when they blessed somebody. In the story we have there, uh, I put in your notes under point number three there, Joseph is blessed by his dad, and his dad says, Joseph is a fruitful tree. He looked at every one of his sons, you're all unique, Joseph, you're a fruitful tree, a fruitful tree beside a fountain, his branches reach over the wall. And of course, Joseph did that. It went beyond Egypt. He blessed other people. He was a blessing. He understood his dad. And there was a word picture. Jesus gave a word picture to Peter. He said, Peter, you are the rock. There's word pictures throughout the scriptures. Where we grew up in southern Alberta, I lived between two of the largest First Nation reserves. And a lot of their children were named with word pictures. And it was a picture that they lived with the rest of their life. It empowered them. It, it valued them. They felt blessed because they had this word picture for a name. And we can do the same thing when we bless them. We give, because it takes more time. It takes some thought. And it, they hang on to it. It's a hook to remember that I am blessed. 
I wish I had more time to talk about that, but you can, you can figure that out. And number four, we bless them with prayer. How do we bless? With the words, physical touch, word pictures, thinking about who they are, really being specific. And we also bless by prayer. Jesus prayed for them. They blessed them, the Old Testament, because we're taking the blessings of God, we're being a conduit and letting the blessings of God flow into their life. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.